Bird Call. What is up, you beautiful bastards? It is your boy, 6AM, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. This is part of the Ask Noah series. I was number 30 at Facebook, number four at mint.com, and I helped build a bunch of businesses that I've done pretty well. More recently, I've done appsumo.com. It is the number one site online for software deals. We promote insane software at great prices for solopreneurs. So if you're starting or growing an online business, appsumo.com. I'm also giving you some background. So if you are brand new to the episode, you can learn, oh, this guy kind of knows a thing or two. And I also have a YouTube channel with half a million subscribers and creating content for way too long on this internet world. We have three amazing questions we're going to be going over today. How to meet people and have an amazing workcation. What's the right speed for your company? What's too fast? What's too slow? I'm going to talk about a lot of different examples. And lastly, marketing spend during recessions. What should you be doing? I'm going to give you our playbook and walk through what we're doing at appsumo.com. These are questions that you've submitted, and I'm going to be giving you detailed answers about them. Submit your own questions at okdork.com slash asknoah if you have a question you want to answer. Uh, let's get it on. Question number one from Julian Rabbi. Hey, Noah, big fan. I've emailed you a couple times over the years with random questions you always answered. It amazes me to think you actually answer all your emails. I really do. I just don't write a lot of words, but I'm glad I'm always here to respond to you. Your question is, I am planning a workation in Barcelona next March for about a month. That is awesome. That's where I've been going every summer. Could you share your approach to quickly build a network while living abroad? Meeting people, other entrepreneurs, dating, etc. Thanks, Julian. Man, what an interesting question. So I've workationed from Israel and from Barcelona. So I have a lot of different things that have worked and not worked uh, while doing this. So thanks for asking that question. One of the major things, just taking a step back here, is that networking is just a part of the workation. So I'm going to go over a few other things that I think have really helped me enjoy it more. So I love this question, Julian. Before I dive in, I have to recommend if you are going to be doing workations anywhere, my number one piece of advice is stay put. And I know that sounds maybe counterintuitive. And especially in my 20s, I was like, oh, I'm going to go here and go here and go here. If you're trying to go there and vacation, just vacation. But if you're trying to work, it is much more helpful. If you're like, I'm staying here for at least a month. Otherwise, the stuff is just crazy to get organized and dialed in. So here are my tactics for meeting people and having a very successful workation, specifically when I was in Barcelona and also when I did in Israel. Number one, build it before you go. Uh, so before you head out to this location, uh, specifically with networking or meeting people, can you ask for referrals? So who are the three people that you love? That you're like, oh my God, these people know all these cool people or I always really like them or I admire them. Ask them, do you know one person? And when you're asking for a referral, just ask for one. Like who is one person in X country that I should talk to? And you'll be surprised how many people you, you can find just through referrals. And referrals is through your network. You can also ask your providers, so your lawyers, your accountants, anyone who you respect or you think will have an interesting network. Next up, you can post on social media or search social media. So I've done this a lot, LinkedIn, Facebook, as well as posting on social media. Hey, I'm going to this place. Who should I meet? Sometimes when I've posted that, um, I get a lot of weirdos. So it's not been as good. But look, if you're just getting going, just, you know, you got to be shooting some bullets and uh, just getting the reps in. So I would try that out as well. I've seen a lot of people do this with some success, which is updating your bio to include your location. So include the flag or your soon to be location before you go. So people can be like, oh, are you going there? Let's talk. I know Andrew Chen did that for Los Angeles. There are also sites, uh, Nomad List and some others, where you can look up other people who are going to cities and start interacting with that. I think Facebook as well, as you can look up like expats groups in these different cities, and that's been a, a major way of meeting people. A lot of other things that I would be doing, Julian. So is signing up for a co-working spot. Uh, WeWorks are everywhere. I signed up for a co-working spot in Barcelona. It's a really great way to meet other like-minded people, uh, as well as a lot of other people who are like, hey, I want to meet friends, and they have events. Personally, when I went to Spain, I went with two of my best friends, Ian and Dan from Tropical MBA Podcast and Dynamite Jobs. 
So when I was there, I didn't try to network and meet as many people. In Israel, uh, I did a lot of these things. Uh, one thing to consider is ratio of quality to meeting. And so if you think about your, your current regular life, wherever you live in the world, you normally have like probably five amazing friends. But think about how many people do you have to meet to get five? Just think you're going to have to meet like probably 100 to meet five. And then secondly, if you're like, hey, I just want to meet acquaintances and business friends, okay, you can probably have a, a lower ratio. For me in Israel, I did meet a ton of people. And it was basically about like one or two. I was like, oh, I'd really like to get to know you better. So just kind of knowing that uh, makes it a lot easier. Uh, next, you can also join a co-living place. So I know David Kelly, he runs the AppSumo Originals team. He used this thing called offsite.com. And he seemed to actually meet a lot of people. It's basically co-living. As well as like in Barcelona, there's a place called Soho House. They're, they're all over the world. It's not really my jam. It's kind of like a bougie-ass club where you have to pay a bunch of money uh, to meet other bougie people. <laughs> But people seem to like it. Um, it might be worth going to an event there or seeing any open events they have. Uh, I've seen a lot of people co-work there uh, in Barcelona as well as here in Austin. One thing that helped, this was really great, and I did it in Israel. I didn't do it as much in Spain, uh, is hosting a dinner or just an activity. So my buddy Eric Sue hosted a dinner, and he actually invited me and a bunch of other people, and I ended up becoming friends uh, with people from there. And as well in Israel, I did wine and falafels. So it doesn't have to be expensive. I think I bought three bottles of wine. And like, I don't know, 50 fluffle balls, maybe like 50 bucks. And that was just a really interesting way to be like, hey, I'm having a thing. Do you want to come to it? Versus like, hey, let's go get coffee. And I also found that if you do group meetings, if one person sucks, at least maybe one or two of the other people that might be cool, uh, it increases your odds of finding great people to hang out with. A few other things that really helped me on workations and meeting people and, and, you know, building a network. I will say one of the greatest things about a city is who you get to spend time there with. And if you can build a network of people you like, it will make it easier. Uh, this is a thing I've been doing now for about 10 years that I think will really help for going to Barcelona. Where we're going is I keep a city list. So I use Evernote. I know it's 1995, but I still do it that way. You can use Apple Notes or whatever the kids are using. Uh, and I still do this. And so I cull it and curate it actively, meaning so I have a Barcelona list. I have a Germany list. I have a New York list. I have a France list. I have a San Francisco list. Any city that I'm either going to once in a while, or I want to be going to, or I've met someone, I'm like, oh, this person's so cool, put them on the list. And so when I'm going there, I just kind of update the list. And I basically just sort order it. So I'm like, all right, whoever's most interesting, I keep moving to the top. And then if there's ever like, oh, this person I would like to meet there, I'll keep them up there as well. And I just keep prioritizing it. And that just makes it easier. So I don't have to really reinvent the wheel every time I want to be traveling. Other ways to meet interesting people. If you're a tourist, use it to your advantage. I went up to a lot of people just in person. Uh, or I'm out at like, a, there's like El, La Champagneria. I think it's El Champagneria. Uh, it's an awesome place. You should check that out in Barcelona. And I just like started talking to people at the bar that were uh, ordering food. Uh, this is good for dating and in general. Just use that you're a tourist. Like, hey, I'm a tourist. Like, oh, are you from here? Where are you from? Literally the where are you from question I asked people on the streets a lot. We're going to even do a video about it. And it was just an easy opener because people were like, oh, I'm from here. Or I'm not from here. And then you can have that conversation about it and other things. Uh, next up, look at your customer base. So for app, for me with AppSumo, we actually uh, did a partner meetup. So I met Gerard, um, another dude from Happy Scribe, and it was awesome. And they had friends of friends. And so going back to the referrals thing, do that. But also look at your customer base or partner base or someone maybe freelancer base. And that is a really cool way. Or if you're a customer of a company like AppSumo, post in the group, hey, does anyone live in these cities? And finding people with other similar interests like that was really helpful. Two more things. One, use your hobby as an advantage. So for me, really into cycling. Also, there's like paddle tennis. Uh, there's also like, so for me, I'm into boxing. I'm into cycling. I'm into squash. And so I did all those in Barcelona and that was a way to meet people. I wasn't as actively trying to build a network because I spent most of my time with Ian and Dan, but I met people biking. I met a squash player. 
And then boxing, I would go to the boxing class and actually met a cool realtor guy uh, through that. And lastly, and you were asking about dating. So dating Barcelona was really interesting. I had a really good time doing it out there. Just a few, I'd say more unique things that were, were helpful. One, coffee shops, a real power move. I don't think people talk about that enough. Because one, people are generally working or reading or they're interesting if they're doing something at a coffee shop. It's less aggressive of a situation. You know, you go to a bar, everyone's hitting on everyone. And it's just like just all this estrogen, testosterone flowing. I just enjoy the relaxed environment of that. And you know that they probably have a job, which is great. Unless they're working at the cafe, which, you know, they have a job too. And they can make a great coffee for you. Uh, so that is one thing I thought was really helpful. So coffee shops are less dating-ish environments. Instagram is really neat. So you can look at Instagram or TikTok to see people that are locally in your area. Like, hey, look at places that you've gone to that are tagged or search Barcelona and see if there's anything recent uh, that you can find someone that's doing something and reach out to them. I did that a few times to meet for dates. and didn't really do much. Instagram in general is a good way to communicate um, with male or females if, you, if you're trying to date. And I, I've done uh, the dating apps. I actually met someone who was awesome through that. And that, that was cool. And then uh, I've also went up to people. So outside of the, the coffee shops, if I saw someone interesting, I think you have to do the three-second rule. <laughs> like if you have three seconds to make the call, and you just go do it. And especially if you're a tourist, you're like, hey, I'm a tourist here. Do you live here or not? And then honestly, you could just ask for recommendations. Like, hey, I'm looking for a great coffee shop. I'm looking for a great bar. And one of the things that I would do, specifically uh, in Barcelona, even this trip, I would do it to all genders. Like just use it as a practice. Don't think of it as like, you know, we talk about coffee challenge and failure and fear in business. And that's a lot of the material I make. Uh, and teach people. And this is exactly the same thing about it. And so uh, it's a healthy practice. It's honestly, it makes life so much more interesting to meet great people uh, and have fun times with them. So that is how I was able to meet people and maximize my time in Barcelona last summer. And I'll do it again in upcoming summers. Hope it's uh, good for you, Julian. Question number two from Asher Paul. Howdy, Noah. One of the biggest takeaways I got from your older YouTube videos is how to have a bias towards action. I noticed many other successful entrepreneurs have this tendency too. But I also think there are times when it seems wiser to slow down and be more deliberate with our decision making. I was wondering, what are your thoughts on one day quickly? When to slow down and think through your decision. Asher, one, great name. I think it means king or rich in Hebrew. This is something that's such a really interesting question. I think about it all the time. I was with a, um, an advisor of ours named Christine. She's phenomenal. And we were talking about hiring a marketing advisor. And she and we were, I'm like, yeah, we'll do it in a month. And she's like, no, how would you do it this week? And it wasn't saying that we had to do it this week. But I think asking that question was just a really good reminder about moving fast when like, all right, am I giving myself more time than I need to? Can I do it in a week? Or what would it take to do in a week? And let me, let me just show you maybe how to think through decision making in general. I did read the book, How to Decide by Annie Duke. It's kind of basic, frankly. So I wouldn't recommend actually buying it. I don't think it's worth the money or the read. But I, I think one of the major takeaways that, that may, the book made me think about is don't worry about the outcome of your decision. Worry about the quality of the decision process. Let me say that one more time because I want to remember. <laughs> and I'm also just, it's like a little, just to get it. Don't worry about the outcome because you can't control that as often as the quality of your decision-making process. So let me give you an example of that. And it's going to sound stupid, but I think it's really important. And I think it'll help show you things. And I'll talk to you about more examples about moving fast versus moving slowly. So fantasy football, I've gotten really into fantasy football over the past few years. This is NFL American stuff. And when I first started the season, I impulsively dropped the Dallas Cowboys because I wanted to move really quickly. They're now ranked number one defense. And on the other side of that, there was a guy named Kenneth Walker, who was a running back who I kept for four weeks. And in four weeks, he did zero. And so you only have so many players you can choose in fantasy football. So I dropped him. And now he's like the top 10 running back in the NFL. So there's a few things to learn from that about the decision-making process. So 
On the Dallas Cowboys one, I acted impulsively. I was impatient. I didn't really think through it. And it turned out to be a really bad decision. Now, the decision process was bad. And then the outcome was bad. But with Kenneth Walker, I went and reviewed how I made the decision to drop him. And it was like, look, this guy's done anything in four to five weeks. I don't see anything promising coming. There was a random accident, which I guess you could try to calculate odds of the other running back got injured. And he became available to now be the star running back and has done well. So my decision process on that was actually not bad. So you shouldn't be beating yourself up about it. It was just really interesting to think about, all right, how am I making this decision? And there's times, honestly, where I moved insanely quickly, uh, the opposite of the Dallas one, where I just impulsively dropped it. And it was great. So Christian McCaffrey, I know I'm just giving you examples because I think it's like, it's, it's really about a practice, right? It's not about there's one right, only right answer. Because I've acted really quickly in Dallas and it was stupid. But on the other side, with Christian McCaffrey, he's just running back for the, Nine, uh, for the Panthers. He got traded to the Niners. So I thought, oh, wow, the Panthers running back, they're going to have to make someone the, the number one running back. So I w- immediately went and dropped people and got the Panthers running back. And that turned out really well. And so it's not always black and white. And really what you want to be revisiting, is, and maybe just to give you some framework questions to think about it, is one, think about your decision process and write out the decision-making process and evaluate that on your decisions, not the outcomes. Secondly, ask yourself that question. You know, maybe not for fantasy football, but if you are doing something and you're like, yeah, I think it'll take a month. It's like, well, if I wanted to do it this week, what would, what would I do and what would be different? And I think that will also help you think about, okay, what am I really trying to accomplish and, and really move towards that? Now, now taking a step back here, I, I do want to say that one of my superpowers, and I realized this recently, and it's been interesting, is that I just move really quickly all the time. And it's evolved for me over the years, but I just move really quickly because I don't want to be afraid. And that might sound really strange, but if I am, let's say, trying to date someone, I'm like, let's just find out if we're going to be together or not. And it's like, there's no uncertainty. It like tries to skip the fear part just to find out the answer. And so in dating, it's kind of good and bad. In business, it's really helpful because I'll go to find out the answers immediately and I'll try to cut out everything that, that's not important. So it is good and it is bad. Now let's zoom out here of what, what we're talking about. Now, in your business and what you're working on, what you really want to do is, number one, figure out what is your goal you know, and the motivation. Like, what am I really trying to accomplish? Right? This is the zoom out. And then from there, your decision process should lead to what are you optimizing for and towards? So think about that. What am I trying to do? And now, am I making decisions that are moving me towards that and optimizing towards where I want to be going? Now, as you are doing these decisions, you do want to be thinking, what is the process I am making on these decisions and how is it helpful or where was it not a great decision process? And then keep calibrating around your decision process. A few examples, even recently, there's times in business where I'll ask a lot of people for advice. What do you think I should do here? What do you think I should do here? What do you think I should do here? And then I notice is that I already know the decision I want to do when I'm asking a lot of people it, but I'm asking a lot of people it because I'm scared or afraid or it's a hard decision. And so that is part of the decision process of like, oh, that's something I'm doing that may not be as helpful. So let me give you two other things to think about that might help you in your decision process. So one, have your decision process journal. I think that's been a good one. I give you some questions to think about, about how can you get it done right now? And you know what's your goal and what are you really optimizing towards? So two other things I think tactically you can do around this is have a slow person around you. So let's just assume you're the fast one. There's, you're, generally people do fat, they're either they're super fast or they're super slow. And there's not a right or wrong. They're just different and they both can win the game. It's just different strategies. So what I'd recommend though is have the opposite around you. For me, I tend to just move very impulsively and very quickly. And I've slowed down over the years because I've also realized like, what are we rushing for sometimes? 
So have the opposite around you. So there's two people at AppSumo, Eamon and Alona, and I wouldn't say they're slow. I know it sounds kind of almost like an insult, which it's not. I actually think part of the reason of AppSumo's success is that they are more intentional, they're more thorough, they're more thoughtful around these decision processes. And so when I am thinking like, hey, we should go do this thing, I run it by them and they're like, no, what's, we're, what's our goal? What's our priority? How are we moving towards that? Maybe we should move faster or they'll actually be like, no, we don't need to do a new thing. Let's do a slow thing. So that, that's been really, really helpful. Find that an opposite person to really just challenge you on it. And then I think it'll help you get more clarity on what the right speed is. Because sometimes in business, it's really fascinating. People are like, let's grow the speed. It's like, how did you choose the speed to grow at? And lastly, okay, so let's talk about AppSumo. Uh, Chad, my business partner, me and him just <laughs> move really quickly and we always want to do new things. And we had a really good conversation this week where if we did more boring things in a tad slower, we'd actually win more. So we were looking over some of, we're, we're working on Q1 projects for, for the upcoming year, 2023. And um, most of the projects we think will make the biggest impact to our customers, to our partners, to our team, and to our profit, God willing, <laughs> are really boring. And it's just the ones that we know are going to work. And they're not like crazy, fast, new, exciting things. And it was just a really powerful lesson. It's like, yeah, do you want to win or do you want to just do things? Do you want to be right or do you want to win? And ultimately, as you are making these decisions, I think the thing to realize, Asher, is that the answer can be both. It can be fast and slow. By the way, I'm trying something different in this, this you know, workations speed and then marketing. I'm actually writing out my answers. Normally, I'm kind of more ad-libbing it. I'm curious what you guys think. Is this more the thoroughness or the, I think it's more thoroughness uh, of my explanations uh, are better? Let me know your comments. Uh, tweet at me, TikTok, Instagram, at Noah Kagan, and let me know. As well, submit questions at okdork.com slash asknoah. Question number three is from Mark Heatley. Hey, Noah, it seems like many businesses are cutting down on the marketing budget with the recession coming. What are your thoughts on increasing or decreasing advertising spending on Google and Facebook during a recession? I don't know why. Well, that's not in British. That's horrible. But Mark sounds like someone from uh, New Zealand or like a wrestler. But I hope you're great, Mark, and every other one of you listeners. So, Mark, this is literally something we're going through at AppSumo. Our revenue has been down, and that's a whole nother episode. But I want to just kind of share exactly how we're thinking about it and how we're handling it and just give you the specifics. So, number one, when a recession or pullback happens, that's when Noah gets greedy. Real greedy. And you know, when uh, COVID hit, we started spending a lot more on ads because everyone else pulled out. And when everyone's going left, guess where you're going to go, Mark? Go left with them. Just kidding. Man. Go right. So a few things that, that we're thinking about, and get, let me just give you more tactical stuff. So here are things that we are doing with our spend. Number one, you have to be more disciplined with your spend regardless, especially when there's a pullback happening. And that's a great chance to actually be more disciplined. I, I always remember my friend at Apple, where I asked him like, oh, you guys are very sophisticated. He's like, no, we're not sophisticated. We just make a lot of money. You don't always have to be sophisticated if you are making a lot of money. But when times get tougher is where you can actually build up your infrastructure. And so what that means with ads is that you need to be thinking about your ROI. So one, how long is it taking to make your money back? And so I might consider shortening that window to three months versus six or longer. And you can also be thinking about what is your projected or expected return from your spend. And so if you're not doing that, you can get more dialed in on it. And so I would be figuring out or aim for a larger buffer on your spend. Meaning if you're spending $100 on some ads, can you get 3x, 4x, 5x and keep a higher threshold of getting that money back at that rate within a certain period of time, ideally three months? So number one, set up your infrastructure regardless. And especially when things get tighter, having that knowledge is going to give you an advantage because if you know you're making very profitable ad spend, you can scale it like crazy. Next up, you got to evaluate your spend on a few different things. And this is how we're looking at it as well. 
The value we spent on new versus returning buyers, it turned out with AppSumo, about 70 to 80% of our spend is on returning, which is not bad, but it seems like, could we reach those people in other ways through email, through social, through direct organic? And so we're experimenting around reallocating from a higher level percentage moving into the upcoming year. So from a 2080 on new to returning, moving, actually swapping that. So the majority of the spend is around the new. And can we get the returning people through other means? Another thing that people talk about, and we're going to be experimenting with this, is called holdout spending. And so that's specifically around your return buyers, meaning if you're spending and it's just doing remarketing or repurchasing, meaning someone's gone to your site and you have a pixel on them and now you can show ads. Now what you can do is put their email addresses in Facebook, Google, or wherever, and then don't show some part of the audience those ads and see does the revenue actually draw from it. My hypothesis is that people just kind of get used to the ads and they'll probably come to you another way or the amount of money you're spending on it may not be worth it. And I think a lot of the return spending is actually misleading because it's not taking into the total cost of that customer. Like when did you initially pay for that customer and how much are you still paying to get that customer to come back to you? And is there a way to transition that to a free organic way of reaching them? Uh, A few other suggestions. Right now when there's recessions uh, and people are pulling back, I would also look for new channels of opportunity. So specifically the ones that I'm looking at with our team with Mitchell and uh, Happy and Nick on the marketing side with paid performance is that are there micro influencers who are now making way less money? So our YouTube channel, for instance, uh, was doing 30,000 a month in just ad spend. And now it's at seven. So it's definitely gone down. Doesn't mean I'm more willing to take that, that payments, <laughs> but others are. Uh, and so what I would look for is, all right, who are micro influencers? Maybe they have like a thousand subscribers, but it's super high comments. It's super high engagement on the amount of likes they have. And those are the people that actually are able to probably drive really high ROI for you versus just putting it into Facebook or YouTube or any of the other other channels. So what I'm recommending here is look for other channels or more micro influencers, especially now because you'll probably get way better deals. Test them out. You know, AppSumo motto is test and invest. So test them out. And then what I would recommend you doing is if you find one that works is secure a 12-month agreement. So if something is working now, likely the economy is going to recover. It is. That's just how the cycles work. Look back the hundreds of years that we've been doing it. I think it's like 120 years. That's how it works. So, but lock in the agreement now because guess what? It is going to come back and they're going to get more expensive and they're going to get more popular pretty much any marketing channel. So if you can try to pre-spend in these areas or pre-commit, I think it will be helpful if you've tested it. A few other things that we are doing that have helped us with our marketing spend and how we're reviewing it is looking at ratios of marketing. So what that means is that our revenue has gone down, I'll just say 50%. I don't think it's exactly that, but it's 50%. And so what you want to be looking at, Mark, is your ratio of marketing to revenue or marketing to total expense, and then keep that consistent. So if you know that you're able to make you know, a million dollars with $10,000 in marketing spend, you know, that's 1%, you want to keep the 1% consistent over time. So if you're, you're planning to have your revenue go down to 500000 then that means you're only spending 5000 in your marketing. And so that is something, as we're doing our budgeting and coming up, we're, we're just looking at these ratios to have linear consistency of our marketing efficiency. Damn, that was some shit. And lastly, you don't make money when the playing field is leveled, meaning that when everything is good and it's really expensive, it's really hard to win. When things are tough and you have to be creative is when there's going to be a lot more opportunity. When there's uncertainty, there is profit. And so you've got to realize that these limitations that we're facing, maybe your spend is down, maybe the channels are tougher, maybe iOS is being crazy with Apple's changes, is where you're going to have a lot more creativity. And frankly, you're going to have a lot more bigger upside. So I would be thinking about those things, and I think you'll have a lot of opportunity uh, today, especially right now for the people who are willing to, to put in some of the sweat and work. 
That is it for the questions. If you have questions, submit more at okdork.com slash asknoah. Make sure to follow me on youtube.com slash Noah Kagan. We put out fat, juicy business videos to help you all out, as well as my newsletter at okdork.com. If you're a solopreneur wanting to get started, or if you've made some software and you want to get some customers, go to appsumo.com. Even joining the newsletter, we're really revamping it. Uh, Alona, Chris, and the rest of the team are making it hot fire. Hope you guys are having a really great day today. I love you.